0: As we get started, I'm just going to come down here. I've got to handle some business first. Hi, I'm Dave Rumpke. I don't know if we have met, met brother, so I thought so I'd introduce myself, Paul. <laughs> I didn't have to do that with Aaron. He actually remembered who I was. So <laughs> At least somebody remembered me. It's so nice when somebody, you know, sets up the opening joke for you and you don't have to actually think one up. All right, New Year's Eve. Let me just get right into it. Who's made resolutions? Well, enjoy that for the next 60 days or so until you choke on them and stop doing them. But it's that time of year where everybody takes stock, whether they want to change in life, how they want to be better, get the whole weight loss thing, getting better health. I'm going to start working out, go to the gym. Yeah, we all quit. But then we get the other ones where it's, oh, I'm going to read my Bible more. I want to pray more frequently. Hey, those are ones, maybe we could try to stick with those. Those would be fun. But those are challenging. Um, so before we get too far, I'm just going to share real quick one thing about me. But I ask for grace so then I can explain a little further before you come up here and try to drag me away for saying something controversial. I am not a huge fan of Bible reading plans. Let me explain. They don't work for me. See, my personality, if I have a Bible reading plan, it just becomes a big checklist. I will complete the task. Like, my, my wife will give me the honeydew list. Every guy here knows the honeydew list. I will never care why that thing is on that honeydew list. I will get the honeydew list done before she finishes explaining what is on the honeydew list. That is just my personality. I am going to go do that. For other people, I get it. Reading plans work great. They are a tool. They can help you create a habit. But for those of us who don't, it can be hard to stay after it. And that's what we're going to talk about today is reading our Bible. So, Paul mentioned in the, in the inter- introduction. So, for the next five ish weeks, so we have a missions presentation in, in the middle, but for basically five weeks, each of the elders, we're going to be going through a spiritual discipline. Who knows what a spiritual discipline is? All right, most of us, right? It's things we do in order to help ourselves draw closer to God. And That sounds like a topical sermon series, so before people start thinking we're starting off the new year and we're just throwing away this whole expository thing we do, let me explain what we're doing. We all didn't read the same book, and now we're going to come up here to the pulpit and take turns making Scripture fit what we read in a book. That is not our purpose. What we're going to do is come up here week after week and continue to explain oppositorily look at scripture. We have looked at scripture. We know these spiritual disciplines. These are things Jesus displayed in his life, so they're in scripture. We're going to, through scripture, look at what they mean to us. Some of how we do them, some of why we do them, but what does scripture say about these spiritual disciplines? That's our goal. So I just wanted to kind of kick off the series. With the understanding, we are still going to preach expository. We are going to do exegesis. We are going to say what comes from Scripture, not what we can shove into it. We are going to take great lengths to make sure we do it that way. The benefit you get is we go through these. Hopefully, there's things you can take and apply to your life. You see how Jesus did them. You see how Scripture spoke to them. But you also get to see the five of us come up and take turns and learn a little more about our personality, what came out of Scripture to us, and how these things can help all of us. So that's kind of what the next five weeks looks like. So for today, it's all about reading your Bible. We know that Jesus read his Bible, we know Jesus memorized his Bible. For him, it was a scripture. It wasn't called the Bible at that time. It was a scripture. He knew his Old Testament. He quoted it. He paraphrased it. He used it. He displayed it. So this is where, for me, a Bible reading plan doesn't get me there because I'm just going to get it done. And reading your scriptures should not just be a thing you get done. And what we're going to look at today in Psalm 119, might sound like a little bit of an odd place to go look at Bible reading. We're going to look at Psalm 119, and we're going to dig into that pretty deeply. Before we do, you know, let's set the foundation, right? So, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. That's even part of our statement of faith. That is how we view Scripture here as a church. That's how I view Scripture. It serves a lot of purposes. So just to casually read through it like it's another book, we might miss something. So whether you use a reading plan or not, my hope today is to encourage us to get everything we can out of Scripture. And we're going to do that through this psalm. And just share a little bit about the psalm, because we are kind of just kind of airdropping in the middle of this psalm. There are things that we don't know about the writer, so we don't actually know who wrote Psalm 119. There are some similarities to Ezra's writing, some coincidences in history, so there is strong indication that Ezra wrote the book, or wrote this particular psalm, but we don't know that for certain, but that's okay. Um, It's a very detailed account. This psalm is the longest single chapter in the entire Bible. And it's one poem. The poem is also written in 22 stanzas of eight verses each. Those 22 stanzas are each of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each of those eight verses that make up those 22 stanzas repeat and begin with, the starting letter that's uh, the name of the stanza. Very detailed. Um, just read a, a couple quotes here from some commentators that I used when I was looking this up. So Brugman commented that this psalm is a massive intellectual achievement. It is astonishing, an astonishingly crafted poem. And Allen states, this poem is a a monotonous repetition, which is more precisely a kaleidoscopic patterning of a certain number of motifs. It repeats, it was intended to be spoken over and over and over by everyone. It was a tool to help them memorize this psalm even though this psalm is longer than a lot of the books in the Bible. It was to be memorized and said over and over again. It's constructed in a way that it is the only true, full expression of Hebrew poetry in Scripture. There's a lot to this single psalm. And let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to unravel it for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are so humbled and grateful that you would speak to us through these written words, that you would share yourself with us, that you would equip us through your word, that you would teach us, and that you would use these letters and and this psalm to help us draw closer to you, Lord, We're so grateful that you love us so much that you would pour out this writing, that you would work with these human authors to have your message to us delivered to our hands. And Lord, as we spend the next few minutes looking through this psalm, or or at least part of this psalm, Lord, I, I would just pray that our time together, our view of this psalm would be pleasing to you, God that we would turn it back and and our time would just be an offering back to you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, why do we think the psalmist would make such a detailed, constructed poem? Clearly, this author spent a lot of time laying out exactly how this poem was going to go. But at the same time, the author never put their name to it. Isn't that curious? They put in all of this effort to create this beautiful, repetitive poem, but they never indicated who they were. That's a lot of effort to not get any credit. I mean, if I was putting in that kind of effort, I'd at least kind of, you know, wrote my name at the bottom or something. But the author didn't want the poem associated to them. They wanted the poem to be a dedication to God. I think the author of this spent so much time crafting this poem because that is how important Scripture is to them. So as we start looking at reading our Bibles as a spiritual discipline, let me start by telling you what you're not going to get this morning. I am not going to tell you some new pattern on how you can divide the Bible to read it this year. I'm not going to give you some new method for memorizing Scripture this year. I'm not even going to tell you how you can make more time in your busy schedules to be able to read your Bible more. I'm not going to share any of that because none of that is in the Bible. And I get it. Has anybody got an abundance of extra time (laughs) other than the retiree who can't remember people's names up here? (laughs) Everybody's lives are busy. And we're going to come out of this break between Christmas and New Year, and everybody's lives are going to get more hectic, right? We have Awana and Impact starting right back up. And the volunteers will be busy, and the parents bringing kids will be busy, right? There's not a ton of leftover time in our lives. So how are we going to read the Bible? How, what is going to help us to get motivated? The number one problem with resolutions is people give up on them because they don't have the motivation. They don't get instant gratification. So they give up on their resolutions. That's where we want to talk about not letting reading your Bible be a resolution. Rather, a resolve. I want us all to commit to this. And although I'm not going to tell you the how, because you have to figure that out yourself, what we're going to see from Scripture is how excited one author was about Scripture, that it drove them to want to read Scripture every day. That's what the Bible says about reading your Bible is to be motivated to do it. To seek to honor the Lord when we do it. To draw closer to our sovereign, heavenly Father. So, in way of an outline, we're going to do three points today. The first one is the power of God's word of blessing. The second one, is the power of God's Word for cleansing. And the third one is the power of God's Word for knowledge. And they line up really easy because the the author already broke it into the stanzas, so that's just the first three stanzas. We're not going to read the whole thing, otherwise we would have had to start like an hour ago, because like I said, this thing is really long. So we're going to cover the first three stanzas today, and we're going to read through them, Then we'll go back through and break them apart. But those three points align to each one of those first stanzas. So, if you have your Bible, turn with me, Psalm 119. Olaf, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong. But walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me, Beth. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With the whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Gemel, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, Your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselor. The author clearly has a high view of God's word. Back at the start, the author doesn't write it this way, but there's a question there. Blessed are those whose way is blameless and walk in the law of the Lord. How's everybody doing on that one today? Everybody get up, y'all, y'all blameless? I'm pretty sure I got one foot on the floor before I blew it. But what the author is talking about is the desire To get closer to the Lord to be able to do that. The author doesn't presume that the author is capable of it. The author is expressing that I can't do this on my own. God, I need you to talk to me, I need you to help me to be able to do that. Wouldn't that be a blessing from the Lord? To have the Lord speak to you directly, to say to you, here is where I need you to follow me, here's what I need you to do, here's what I need you to not do. He does. It's in here. The Lord talks to us through Scripture. That's how we become aware of the laws. That's how we know what is right and what is wrong. And there is a truth in this world. Despite what the world would like to tell us, that there is no truth, yes, there is truth. It is only in what God says to be true. He created it, thereby he gets to decide. It's that easy. Throughout this entire poem, this entire psalm, The author is going to use eight different words that all tie to Scripture. He's going to use them repeatedly. And he's going to use them in different contexts. But the goal is always the same. It's so that this author can express, here is how wonderfully I know God has written all this down so that I can be closer to God and protected from this world. Law is the first one. I walk in the law of the Lord. That's God's instructions for us. That is how that would translate. That is just simply God's instruction to his people on how they should walk. That is the summation of God's law. But then the author goes on and talks about, I would also be blessed if I keep his testimonies. The Lord's testimonies the very thing the Lord has said to be true. In Scripture, God gives us His first-person view of all of creation. He shares that with us to take away. His testimonies are without error. Right, The context here, just like it is in, in our day, where that word is used mostly is like in a law or a court setting or some form of trial. Somebody will bring testimony to the defense of somebody or, or to accuse somebody. And in modern court, they will always challenge the person bringing said testimony. Well, if God's bringing the testimony, no one can challenge it. This is the source, source of truth. The writer goes on, you have commanded your precepts, what God before the foundation laid out to be true, pre, what came prior to everything else. God knew how things should be. Those are his precepts. He knows how we should act. He also knows how we do act. That's why He gave us the law. That's why He wants us to learn about the law. As you see in these first few verses, the author is dedicated to understanding Scripture because he understands that Scripture in its entirety is simply a blessing from the Lord. God gave us Scripture so we could be blessed by it. That's why reading plans don't work for me. I would just check it and move. And I would miss God's blessing in Scripture. Because I would treat it like a book. I would get it done. But the author is reminding us, no, don't. Don't get it done. Spend time in it. Learn about it. Accept it. And then remember it. See, when we read our Bible, we should go in with an attitude that I want God to command me. And that's hard for us to do. When's the last time you walked into somebody's office and said, hey, boss me around for a little while? I mean, it just happens naturally if you work or are married. (laughs) It's true. We can all laugh, honey. But when we go to Scripture, we are in essence looking at God and going, God, Tell me what to do, or at least that's what we ought to do, according to the psalmist. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. The Lord is the lawgiver. He has set forth every law that governs this planet. All of creation is under his domain. Statutes is the encompassing of all of that. All of his statutes. Everything that the lawgiver has set forth to be the law. And the psalmist is saying, I want to be steadfast in all of them. The psalmist isn't saying, I want to pick the ones that are really important to me, and I want to hang out there, and the rest of them I'll maybe possibly get to when you do your job and, and grow me to that point. The psalmist is saying, no, I, I want to do this. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments the Lord's commandments, the rules He wants us to follow. And by having our eyes fixed on the Lord and continuing to learn about the Lord is how we absorb Scripture, is how we grow to a point where we want more Scripture in our lives. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. The phrase rules here is is to this psalmist the total summation of everything God has to say. Everything that God wants us to follow, everything that God wants us to put into practice. In this first stanza, we can see that this psalmist feels blessed Because the Lord has provided these very tools to us to change our lives. It's also a call to actually use them. Because if we are blessed in using them and seeking them the way the psalmist says, the inverse has to be true as well. If we don't apply them, we do not walk upright in the way of the Lord, and thereby we are not fully blessed by the Lord. Reading Scripture is about being blessed by God. Not because there's something secret in there, not because He looks upon you more favorably, it's because He's already put out there the rules We get to walk closer with Him. We get to understand Him more. We get to be a partner with Him. But we also have to take away from Scripture the cleansing aspect. Because we are all sinners. None of us deserve deserve to have a relationship with the Lord. But the Lord sought out to give us that through Jesus Christ. And he did that for the fulfillment of his law. And what we have to do is to know his law well enough that we can be pure to have the close relationship that God actually desires with us. Have you ever stopped to think about God did all this because he wants to be with you? Jesus came from heaven because the Creator God of all creation wants to spend time with each one of us? That's pretty spectacular. How can a young man keep his ways pure? That's the opening question that the next stanza seeks to answer. And I'm not going to shock you here. The one commentator said it's monotonous. Get ready, I'm going to repeat some points here. But the biggest one that's different is where this author now just spills it out there. Verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. In the Hebrew, the heart is the source of reasoning. It's the source of emotion. It's what makes us human. So the psalmist is saying, the thing that makes me me is what I want to chase the Lord with. I want to pursue the Lord with all of my being. not something you get through it's something you become the more we read scripture the more we are pursuing the lord with our whole hearts we begin to see his blessings we begin to understand the commitment it takes we, we begin to understand the richness that god has there and in, in verse 10 where it talks about i will seek the lord The word seek there just doesn't mean casually look. The word there means to look with intent. That's the very definition of, of the Hebrew word here. I will examine. I will look for evidence thereof is how that plays out. But another place we find that same Hebrew word used is the way a predator will stalk its prey. This psalmist is writing this and telling us that we need to seek the Lord's laws. We need to look into everything the Lord has written like a ravenous lion going after its prey. We have to seek it. We have to go after it. We have to know our very lives depend on whether we get there or not. And when we get a hold of it, we don't let go. And then we cherish it for what it is. The psalmist is using an analogy here of that predator-prey relationship because that is the tenacity in which we should go after God's Word. We need to pursue it that way. Once we have it, we need to hold it that close. We need to dig our claws in deep. And we need to let it fill us. I have stored up your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. My lips declare, I delight, I will meditate, And then it loops back around to, I will delight in your statutes, in everything you said should be. In this second stanza, we see the fact that reading God's Word is not passive. It is very, very active. Look look at how the, the psalmist declares it. Right? I have stored up. I have actively stored. I have act- actively taken a portion and put it so it can be used later. Like, think back to when we looked in Genesis and we saw Joseph storing up all of the stuff in Egypt so that it could be used later. It's the same language. The psalmist is encouraging us, use what you need today, but you also store it up. You put it in your heart and save it for later because, guess what? You're going to need it. Just like Joseph did. But then he goes on and declares, with their mouth, the psalmist says, with my mouth, I will say how wonderful your words are. I will admit you are the Lord. I will Express my gratitude for what you have given me. And I will delight in the Lord's testimony. When we delight in the Lord's testimony, we say thank you for everything he's done for us. We all get to say thank you to the Lord by accepting every aspect of his law. And then I will meditate on all of your precepts. I'll meditate on everything that you said would come before and fix my eyes on your ways. I will meditate. I will sit there and think of nothing but your words. I will focus on them. I will put this world aside and fixate my eyes on the Lord. When it talks about storing these things up and using them and appreciating all the statutes, everything God said would be, the psalmist is really talking about the totality of god's law he's not talking when he says statutes about the letter of the law he's not talking about the thou shalt not what he's talking about is the intent behind the law right when we see a speed limit sign it says the speed limit is like 35 here 55 here you guess what that means it's 35 and 55. But why do they say those? Why are those different? What is the intent behind them? Or better yet, a better example of, of what the word statutes means here is if we think about Jesus' but-eyes from the New Testament. Matthew five twenty-eight. But I say to you, that everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right? This is out of a conversation where people are talking about adultery, like adultery and lust. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 hold up. It's not after you've done it. <laughs> the intent is don't even think it. That's the intent of the law versus the letter of the law. Or, or later on in, in Matthew 5, 38 and 39, that same thing. But I, so Jesus says, you have, heard, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I, Jesus, say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. The word statutes in this passage is the Jesus but eyes. There's more behind the statement. It's the intent. So here in the second stanza, where I will delight in all of your statutes, the author is not saying, I will delight in the law that you gave me. I'm going to delight in the reason you gave me a law. That statement by itself indicates the psalmist has already learned the law. You have to know the law in the first place to start looking for intent after it. That's what the psalmist is trying to get us to do. That is what the psalmist is saying is important to him. Then we open up that third stanza and... Deal bountifully with your servant. The psalmist is opening up this third stanza saying, look, I'm already your servant. I already know you. I already know your law. I, I, I want you to deal bountifully with me. I want you to pour more of those blessings from the first stanza out on me because I want to do this. I now know you. I don't know about you. I know you. Because I understand all of those statutes. I'm a sojourner on the earth. I don't belong here. When we look around to society and we see how our world has changed and how it's growing, does anybody feel like you fit here? We don't. Or at least we shouldn't. we need to keep that in the front of our minds as we read our scripture. We're not reading it as, as a foreigner as a, a foreigner to the scripture, it's the other way around. It's our daily lives we don't belong. It's in the glory of the Lord is where we actually do belong. That is where we should find our delight. And then the psalmist goes on, verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules. When's the last time you read your Bible? Put it down and long to be able to pick it right back up. It's what the psalmist is encouraging is that heart felt attitude the psalmist isn't telling us anywhere in here and i'll I'll cheat i'll give you the rest of the psalm nowhere in the rest of this psalm does this psalmist advocate reading scripture all this psalmist does is continually repetitively pour out his own heart saying here's why i do and here's what comes from it. That is what the unnamed psalmist was trying to convey. That's why the psalmist wanted to be nameless, so that we would all sit here and focus on the experience of the psalmist, not who it was. We go on down. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselor. Who's our counselor, church? Just a little bit louder. You got the answer. The Holy Spirit, right? For those of us who are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is our counselor. How does the Holy Spirit talk to us? If you've heard an audible voice from the Holy Spirit, go ahead and raise your hand up. God's Holy Spirit is going to talk to us through Scripture. It says so in Scripture. If we want to hear God's voice, we need to be in His Word, we need to appreciate His Word. We need to see the reading of the Bible as truly a blessing. It's not a book to be completed. When it comes to reading our Bible, what the psalmist is encouraging us is just the simple fact. Just remember the fact that it's not how much you're in your Bible. It's how much of your Bible gets into you. So if you're not one of those people who are just going to slam through and, and check all the boxes just because you've know, you got a checklist in front of you, maybe you're one of those people that you're going to start a Bible plan and you're going to start working a little bit ahead and, and you're going to hit a scripture and it just stops you because it lines up with what this psalmist says and you're moved and you're convicted and God is empowering or rebuking, or celebrating, whatever it is. But then you get off your plan and you want to quit. The point of the plan should have never been to get done. So pick it up another day. But rest in the blessing that is God stopping you. God's Holy Spirit wants nothing more but to counsel us and teach us. And it's going to come through God's Word. And when we read God's Word, we get that blessing of the voice of the Holy Spirit. So if a reading plan works for you, God bless you. I, I will pray you have great success with that. Amen. 100%. And by success, I don't care if you complete it. What I care about is that you replicate the heart of this author? Let the Spirit change us through those words. Grow. Change. Whatever it is you're supposed to do because God's telling you to do that through His Word, do it. Make room for God in reading your Bible. This psalmist tells us what we should look like when we read. And that's a beautiful thing. It's such an incredible picture. And it's obtainable to all of us. And I know it's obtainable for all of us because the author actually proves it because they put in all that effort, all that detail, yet we don't know who they were. see God throughout the whole thing. See, we're growing when we turn invisible and all they see is the Lord. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so grateful that you saw fit to have this magnificent, unnamed author write these words for us, God. I would just pray that each one of us here, those of us today that, that heard this psalm, that got to enjoy these words, God, that we would indeed be changed, that we would indeed delight in all your statutes, that we would grow, we would find the blessing that you pour out through your word, that we would indeed use your word to cleanse ourselves to wash away the the unholiness that we pick up daily. God, I would just pray that we use your word the way you intend it for us and that we ultimately just relish in it and and grow and continue to gain our knowledge and, and wisdom about you so that we can better serve you, we can better love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.